Hey, what's going on, everybody? This your boy, Jay Mace. Welcome to another throwback interview from the Time Machine Archives right here on Beyond the Album Cover. With BT turning 40 this year, here's my throwback interview with Alvin Jones, a.k.a. the Unseen VJ. You know his voice if you watch Video Vibrations, Soft Notes, or any BT program in the 80s and 90s. We discuss his origins before BT getting hired by BET, and learn what was uploaded onto the BET servers when there were still tapes. You'll be laughing when you find out what he says. You can find this episode along with past interviews where you get your major podcasts. Just type Beyond the Album Cover. Be sure to follow so you can be notified whenever new content is available. Video content is on my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash J85 lowercase j85 and follow the facebook show page facebook.com forward slash beyond the album cover that's all one word so ladies and gentlemen my throwback interview with alvin jones aka the unseen vj right here on beyond the album cover hey what's going down everybody this your boy jay mace inside the time machine on wuag 103.0 fm playing the best in new old school hip-hop r&b and everything else in between with me on the phone right now i have legendary btvj unseen vj by the way alvin jones the voice of video vibrations mr jones welcome to the time machine Hey, man, how are you? So good to be on the show. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Uh, it's no problem, man. Uh, it's definitely an honor for me to be interviewing you because I've interviewed Donnie Simpson. Basically, this was back during the golden age of BET, in my opinion. Mr. Green Eye. Yeah. Yes, the Green Eyed man himself. Now, go ahead and tell the people about how did you get your start in radio. Uh, really, I got started in radio doing morning announcements in high school. I wanted to get into television and radio. And I said, hmm, you know, there are folks who are or, you know, to do the morning announcements in high school. Let me try that. And that was my first parlay into broadcasting. I uh, decided to go to Howard University. Okay. And I um, started working at their station on campus, similar to your station. And from there, I got a chance to, uh, my, on my sophomore year, work at WHUR, which is very unusual because it's a radio station that's owned by a college, but it's a commercial station. And at that time... They had the show Quiet Storm. Melvin Lindsay had created the show in 1977, and uh, he was working during the week, and I got a chance to work in the weekend as his fill-in, and uh, it was a number one show, so that got me notoriety, and it, it, my show came to the attention of BET. BET hired me to uh, work with them when they were expanding, because at the time, BET was only on eight hours a week. And uh, I started with them September 17th of 1984. Uh, by October 1st of 1984, BET was 24 hours, and that's when uh, I started doing video vibrations. Okay. Now, you worked with Donnie prior to BET at 93 WKYS in D.C., correct? Oh, actually, we started working together uh, in 1990s when he hired me over from, from uh, WHUR. But we were competitors in radio and then, of course, sidekicks on... DET, and then one day he called me, and I thought he was looking for uh, Jeff Newman, who was his producer. He said, hey, Alvin, it's Donnie. I'm like, how you doing? And I'm, I'm thinking he's saying, you know, is Jeff around? But he said to me, he says, listen, I know you were interested in coming over to Kiss FM. Are you still interested? And I'm like, yeah. So we got a chance to work together in radio and in TV on the same team, and that was, a, that was fun. Mm -hmm. Now, Video Vibrations came about in 1984, correct? 
So the this first was, show was October first, nineteen eighty-four. So this was back during the days of greasy pillows and Michael Jackson and Betamax and things of that nature. Now explain to me what was that first show like and putting that together. Well, it's interesting. We we were using, and it's funny you should mention that we were using three-quarter tapes, which were kind of large format tapes. And it's not like the day we have the betas and you have them on. Uh, you can have the tapes in the computer system and pull it out. We literally, because video vibrations at that time was four hours long, from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., and we would stack these videos, which were, by the time you stacked them, about three feet high, and we literally had to carry them from the uh, office all the way down the steps, around the corner, and back up the steps to the control room. So you had a whole, you had a whole stack of videos that you had to have, and then we had four machines, and one machine was just for the commercials, and the other three were for the videos. So it was two people. I did the audio as if I was a, a DJ and, you know, cut the mic on. And uh, the other uh, person that was in the studio, the, the uh, engineer, which was at first Kevin, and then uh, I had Kevin and Lewis who worked with me during those times, and they would put the videos in, and they'd line up, the, you know, tape deck one, two, and three, play a video, roll it, and that one finishes, they rewind it, and then stick another video in. And we were just rolling like that for four hours. Wow. So um, was there any, like, bloopers during that period? Oh, yeah, there were plenty of bloopers. I'm going to tell you one blooper that was so funny. We were in the same building as uh, what was called Channel 20 at, this, at that time. It's a UPN uh, station. Well, now it's not UPN anymore. Now I guess it's uh, CW. What, what it is. But the whole bottom line of it is we shared equipment. We shared the uh, control rooms, we shared, we had a different master control, but we shared the studios and the tapes. And many a time, uh, they would air Scooby-Doo on Channel 20, and somebody would take the wrong machine, and next thing you know, Scooby-Doo's on the air on, on BET. Wow, I think I may have caught that on an old episode of Video Vibration. So, so while you're watching Ready for the Curl, <clears throat> I mean Ready for the World, Ready for the world yeah. yeah, you're going to be seeing scooby doo doo Yeah. On Black Entertainment Television. And I remember Jeff Lee, who hired me, would always go, what the heck is Scooby-Doo doing on my network? <laughs> but that was, that's the way it was. You know, BET was fun back then because we had no idea how large it was going to be. It was just the concept of having a black station and music video. It was so crazy with, with uh, video vibrations. Uh, for the four hours, most of my videos were rock. Bruce Springsteen, uh, Patti Smythe and, and Scandal, Autograph, Ronnie Millsap, uh, Rolling Stones, because there weren't that many black videos. We sent a letter out. When I first started at BET, going to all the record companies asking us to send all of their videos. And we would sponsor them and say, this is an hour of this company. The only company that did that was, was uh, Columbia and Epic when they were together. That was before Sony took over. And literally, that last hour of every day would be music played by Columbia, Epic, and any associated labels that they had. So the Bruce Springsteen, the Miami Sound Machines, and all that stuff would be played, and of course the Jacksons, Girl, I Want Your Body, and Torture, things like that. So it was interesting. I remember one of the first world premieres that we got was Miami Sound Machine, Conga. Mm. Wow. Definitely a bit record. Now, this was around a time when MTV really wasn't starting to play R&B videos, and Michael Jackson had broken through with Thriller the year before. Now, explain to well, me so that... 
Uh, yeah, explain that to me. Just, you know, it was something that you mentioned. One of the reasons that I got into putting together a music video show was because of Rick James. I remember Rick James uh, having an article in Billboard magazine talking about the fact that BET, I mean not BET, but MTV was not playing black videos. And before BET came along back in 1979, I would go to the different record companies, the you know, local branches, and they had videos. They had... Uh, Fantastic Voice by uh, Lakeside, they had um, uh, Shalomar, they had The Whispers and things like that. And I'm like, I know that there are videos like this, they exist. So what I did is when I heard about um, Rick James's article, I said, well, you know, I'm going to put together a music video show. And I started doing that with public access. It was called Car, uh, Star Talk. And after I finished the first show, I got a call from BET. And uh, they were they hired me as a uh, just a voice, but I had been doing some producing, so they brought me on as a producer also. But yeah, I remember seeing all those videos. There was some videos by uh, Stacy Ladisoff from Million Dollar Babe. Uh, Luther Vandross did a video for Choose Me that was from the movie of the same name. Uh, and also there was a video done by Stephanie Mills and Teddy Pendergrass, Two Hearts. Mm. Wow. Now, was there any, like, commercials that were aired doing video vibrations and you look at him like, ugh, I don't like the way that's done, but hey, it was the sound of the times. The funniest commercial was the one they did for this this album of a hit called Hey Love. Oh, I remember that. Hey, y'all, I got an album in the mail today. Right. But you know what's so funny? That commercial ended up getting Kid and Play a movie deal. House party. Well, we, right, because when it happened, um, we were doing a thing, of, before Rap City came in, we did this thing called Rap Week. And uh, we went up to New York, we had, we had different groups, we had uh, the Jungle Brothers, this was when Q-Tip was still with the Jungle Brothers, De La Soul, uh, Eric B, we had Audio 2, we had K-9 Posse, a whole bunch of groups uh, doing you know, interviews and talking for Rap Week. And Kid and Play decided, yeah, we'll be right back after this commercial. They decided to break into the, that commercial. Well, uh, Doug McHenry and, and George uh, Jackson saw that, liked the guys, you know, the animation that they had, and said, hey, maybe we can use them in a the, in the movie. And that's how uh, House Party got started, with, with Kid and Play. Wow, that's an interesting little tidbit. So that was probably why that commercial was featured in the movie when Robin Harris was sitting on the couch. You know what? That's probably why it was. But that was one of the that was one of the funniest commercials. Hey, man! And the best part was, no, my brother. You got to buy your own. Yeah, let me buy out. No, my brother, you got to buy your own. Mm, And sorry, no CODs. (laughs) Right now, um, what was the difference between Video Vibrations and Video Soul? Because those shows were like the two big juggernauts for BET back during that period. Video Soul was the hit. Um, The whole thing was. Every artist wanted to be on Donnie Simpson's couch. They wanted to sit down and talk to Donnie and be interviewed. And if you were a black artist, that was considered making it because it was national. Remember, you didn't have uh, you didn't have Midnight Special and In Concert and all these other shows that used to come on on a, a Saturday night. But if you were an R&B artist, you're like, man, I want to sit on Donnie Simpson's couch. And of course, they played the hits, you know, the hottest stuff. For my show, my show was more eclectic, so we had a chance to spread out and we could cover a little more because you didn't want to play the same videos 
going from one show to another. As a matter of fact, we used to get a list from Video Folk for what they were playing. And in the days in the beginning when we were four hours, we wouldn't play anything that Video Folk played until three hours into the show. So, um, like I said, Video Folk was the premiere, and we were the, we were the farm system. If, if you take a look at it, um, uh, you got the NFL, and then you got college football. I mean, people love college football also. There are more players, there are more teams, there's a lot of excitement. But you know that the folks who are creating excitement in, in college football or college basketball will go on to the pros. So it was a good tandem because it meant that we had enough outlets so that everybody could, could get their music played. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when did the hours start to get scaled back from four to, I believe, it was two hours, right? Right. We came up with other programming. Um, one of the things, if you, if you think about it, Video Soul and Video Vibrations took up six hours. At first, we were uh, a programming block of eight hours repeated twice. So technically, um, about 18 hours of uh, BET's programming per day was music video. And, you know, when you do the math, 12 hours of the whole day was video vibrations, and then another six hours was video soul. So as we started being able to become profitable and more money was coming in, you could have more programming. So, of course, you had, you had video LP, and then other programs came in also. So it allowed, um, it, it allowed for more programs so we could cut the show down. And then we had uh, soft notes, and like I said, in addition to video LP, and then we did the show Tell Me Something Good. And the main thing in the beginning with Bob is that music video was cheap programming. You put it on, not have to pay a lot of money. And that helped BET sustain uh, itself and, and become eventually profitable. Right. Now, what's the difference between Soft Notes and Midnight Love? Because they were both similar. Oh, okay. Midnight Love was Quiet Storm. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's what it was. Um, soft Notes was what smooth jazz is now. And at the time, there was no term called smooth jazz. So we just called it happy hour music. Because the whole prim- the premise of uh, Soft Notes was you get off, it's six o'clock. You know, you don't want to watch the news because it's, you know, everything bloom and gloom and stress. So he would come home, sit on the couch, and just sit back and watch Soft Notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I got to admit, shout out to my Aunt Peaches in Columbia, South Carolina. She has a mountain of old BT tapes, and I was looking at um, a old collage of BET tapes from back in 89 and it had Soft Notes on there and thanks to Soft Notes I discovered Najee Bet You Don't Know What's Going On which is a great track. Right. And see actually what's, what's interesting I'm working now on a project called Planet Jazz and I'd work at a smooth jazz station and I would hear them play songs I'm like that song's so old I used to play that on you know when I had Soft Notes and then I realized some of that music is timeless. Like you said, the Najee, bet you don't know what's going on. Some people have probably never seen that video. Right. Now, you had a story about you got, you and Video Vibrations breaking in New Kids on the Block. Yeah. Tell me about that. Happened, it was interesting because, you know, Jamie Brown with Sister to Sister Magazine uh, was producer for Video Soul also. Matter of fact, she used to be Bob Johnson's secretary. And uh, when we went 24 hours, she moved over into producing and she became video video soul soul producer. Well, Jamie and myself went up to and this had to be like nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine, we went up to Boston 
to uh, see uh, a showcase for New Kids on the Block. And they show the first video that they have, Please Don't Go Girl, where they're outside in the snow. And one of the things that had been talked about for a while was the fact that a lot of times uh, black artists, when they get to a certain level, they get white managers. And in this particular case, here was a black man who was producing, writing the music, and, uh, and managing a white crew. And I just thought that was like a, such a novel idea. And the kids were kind of cool. It reminds me of, um, you know, the Osmonds. And I remember when um, Maurice had put together New Kids on the Block. And actually, I remember when Maurice Starr was an, an artist himself. He had an album called About Time I Funk You, Babe. Matter of fact, I still have that. I still have the vinyl of Maurice Starr's album in, in my uh, storage unit. So anyway, I thought it was a cool idea. They asked, and I remember little Joe, hey, Mr. Jones, are you going to play us on BET? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, wow. So started playing the song. And then I saw Maurice star at BRE conference out in L.A. And he says, you know, you broke the group. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, well, there's a, there's a pop station in Tampa that uh, saw new kids, and now they're playing new kids on pop radio. And it says it's just starting to take off. So that was kind of one of the things that I could say is that we had broken new kids on the block. Now, what's interesting is uh, uh, Lou Pearlman, who had Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, he had a company that flew jets, and they flew new kids on the block. And that's how he learned about new kids, and he decided to put together a group with Backstreet. Mm. And that company was Transcontinental. See, see, you know your, you know your, your information. <laughs> I, I got to know my stuff, and I'm only 21. So when I was like three and two years old, I mean, my mom would used to just turn on BT when Donnie Simpson video vibe was on. Like, don't bother me. I'm at work. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I would sit down Indian style. Same thing with Soul Train. Sit down Indian style and just be like, shh, video souls on. Don't don't disturb me unless a commercial comes on. And like my aunt, they used to tape it, and I would just watch the old tapes religiously until I hit the rewind button in the in the tape rewind back to the end and just be like, wow, you know. And I just couldn't get enough of it. Wow. So it's, it's, it's see, you're the type of person that I, I really like because. You are into this. I mean, that's how I was. If, if I could get into radio, I remember wanting to get inside a radio station. I, I would sweep it. I would answer the, the phones. I would do the mail. Just let me in if I can get my foot in the door. And I see you're doing this, so you're going to do real well. Well, I appreciate it, Mr. Jones. Come, Jones, coming from, coming from somebody that's been in the business for a long time and, you know, me being in this business for three and a half years, be three years in September, you know, it's definitely humbling. No, no, I, you, you, you have to get those accolades. Because one of the things that I miss um, as, as being a professional, being here for you know, almost 30 years, you kind of miss that whole thing of being new to something and just being wide-eyed and just trying to absorb it all. And that was, that's a type of energy that I think everybody wants to be able to keep, especially in this business. You always want to be hungry. You always want to to want to learn new things because if you think you know everything, that's when you know that you're on your decline. Mm-hmm. So um, I like the energy, and I, I kind of see some of myself in it. So, you know, it, maybe it's a little selfish, too. <laughs> yeah. Now, how did the nickname Unseen VJ become about? Oh, that's interesting. Um... One day, a lady wrote a letter, and she wanted to know why I was unseen. And I thought about the old, there was a show called The Gong Show, and they had this guy who had a paper bag over his head, and he was called The Unseen Comic. 
So I just started calling myself the Unseen DJ. And it kind of hit because it was interesting is that celebrities would come in and they would want, first thing they would want to do is to meet me. Who's this Unseen DJ guy? Who's this guy that we never see, the Unseen DJ? And um, what's his name? Uh, MC Hammer. Uh did in Ham in uh, not Hammond I heard him, but the uh, song Have You Seen It? The last line is Searching High Low, what can more can I say? The girl's hard to see like the unseen DJ. Mm-hmm. And it, it was that was fun because most people get on television to be seen, whereas I was on television and nobody saw my face. Right, and I just saw your face just recently when I went to your website, like, like I think I first went to it like a year or two ago, and I'm like, wow, I finally get to see what these guys look like, because you're like, you're like one of the mysteries in the business, because this was before like I went to Walt Baby Love website, I was listening to the countdown on the regular, and I never seen his face, and when I finally saw his face, I'm like, the face and the voice don't match, but hey, I finally get to see what he looks like. Oh yeah, Walt Baby Love, have you ever uh, seen Lee Bailey? Who is Lee Bailey? I'm not too familiar with him. Lee Bailey used to do a, t- a show called Telling It Like It Was and a couple other things, but Lee Bailey is one of those voices like Walt Baby Love. Okay. Um, Lee has an urban, uh, electronic urban radio. It's, it's like EUR.com. Okay. And if you can check that out. But folks, if, if you want to see what I look like now, <laughs> um, if you go to MySpace, go to MySpace for slash Alvin Jones. And uh, we're actually working on the website for AlvinJones.com. We've got some pictures and stuff on that also. And the uh, show that I'm working on, Planet Jazz, will be PlanetJazz.tv. Uh, so all those things are, matter of fact, I just had uh, dinner last night with my web designer. So we're going to redo all of that stuff and, and make it large. Okay, now what was your thought on when New Edition was pretty much doing their thing from 83 on up to the solo period with BBD? Ralph Transband, Johnny Gill, because they were pretty much like the golden standard, and they were pretty much on BET on the regular. Yeah, they, BET and, and uh, New Edition had a very good relationship. Um, what we liked, and, and I remember when we first started, we played um, uh, Is This the End, and She Gives Me a Bang, and all those videos, and Candy Girl. And even when they started doing, and their videos got better in the production, for them got better for like cool it now uh count me out for something it, the thing about new edition was they were young black men they were fun they were clean cut the girls liked them and the guys wanted to be like them they were like the temptations of their era if you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah definitely were and um still you can feel it to this day you know every r&b pop group are Pattern themselves after New Edition, and of course Michael Bivens, who is now currently serving as in charge of artist development for Making the Band Four with P Diddy. So it just goes to show you that it's 20 plus years in the game, about to be 25 since Candy Girl, that they're still going strong. Yeah, but you know what? I'm gonna tell you the story that Maurice told me about New Edition. Um, Maurice had this idea; he was gonna do another Jackson Five. And every record label he went to, he started with the A's from Atlantic down to Warner. They're like, get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. They, you know, Brother Jackson Five, you're crazy. Now, Maurice's real name is Larry Curtis Johnson. Mm-hmm. And his brother's Michael Johnson. Johnson crew. crew. Right. Pat Jam. Huh? Pat Jam. Exactly. So he was on Streetwise with Arthur Baker out of, um, out of Boston. So Arthur signed um, new edition. The album went, you know, went platinum, 
And guess what? All of the record companies that did not want to sign New Edition went after them to get more, to get them to leave Maurice. Mm. And they gave them like $100,000 and they left to go to MCA. And what was interesting, you know, Maurice sued to get the name mm. and he couldn't. Now, New Edition, they, weren't, they didn't have the name New Edition at the time. And at the time that Maurice met them, Ron DeVoe wasn't in the group either. Mm. But it happened. They were in the sh local showcase that Maurice was doing, and they actually didn't win. But Maurice liked them, so they had a, they had a chance. So, you know, Maurice goes goes to court, loses them, and Maurice told me he man he wouldn't get out of he didn't get out of bed for like six six to eight weeks. Wow, he was just so depressed. So he said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do a new group. But instead of having the second generation of the uh, Jackson 5, this time I'm going to do the Osmonds. Mm -hmm. So he said he started looking for kids, and he saw one kid sweeping up the floor in a, um, in a floral shop, and he said, hey, you know, do you sing? Do you dance? He says, no, no, no. He says, you ever thought about it? He says, well, not really. So Maurice gave him his card and said, here, give me a call. I'm putting together a group. He said, like, two, three days later, the FBI came by his house and wanted to know why, and Maurice was a pretty large guy. Why the six foot three black man who weighs about two hundred seventy five pounds was giving his card out to a minor. So Maurice got a young lady by the name of Mary Alford, and Mary would be the person that would go and talk to the kids. So um, he put together the group with the new kids, and he said he trained them and worked with them to the point that they were all a team. He said we'd go places and we'd all be in the same room in the whole nine yards. Every step that they did, every move that they did, he said. He, he said, I kind of choreographed it so I know what they were going to do. I knew how they were thinking, et cetera. And Maurice has said that the reason he worked with young kids, he said, by the time they get 15, 16, they're going to want to do their own thing. But from that time, from like 10 until, they're very easy to train. They're young enough that you can teach them and they can learn. So that was his whole thing of working with, with kids. Mm -hmm. Now, I know pretty much the majority of that stuff for New Edition because I interviewed Brooke Payne, but what I didn't know was all the labels that did a booboo the fool move and not signed them. Yeah, that happens. Mm -hmm. That happens. Mm -hmm. That definitely does happen. And um, I noticed that you were doing video vibrations from 1984 to 91. Now, why did you leave? You know what? Here's the thing that's real interesting. I said to myself originally that I was gonna, only going to stay about a year. And it got to be so fun. And then I started saying, well, you know what? There are the things that I want to do. And this is a company that I don't own. And the question becomes, do you change what you originally planned because things get, get comfortable? And I had to say to myself, look, you know, before you get a wife and a kid in the house with a picket fence and a mortgage, do you want to break out on your own? So I had to decide to make that decision. And it, it took me about a week. Of just, I, I took off and stayed home and tried to decide what I was going to do. Mm. And I decided, you know, it's 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 time to go. And it's interesting. I, I, I sent a resignation letter to Bob Johnson, and I thanked him for, you know, once for hiring me and having faith in me. Because I remember one time we were at an annual uh, meeting, and Bob Johnson said that he considered uh, me one of the best music programmers in the country. Wow. And. You know, that's a compliment. When when your boss thinks highly of you, that's an extreme compliment. And it's funny because yesterday I was cleaning some stuff out and I looked at the letter that Bob had sent me 
after I resigned and thanking me for being a part of what was going on and asking me to, you know, stay in contact. But, yeah, it's got to the point where you, you kind of have to, you have to do your own thing and um, stick to what you, what you originally planned to do in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, what are your thoughts on the radio industry? Because there's an increasing turnover in formats, changing personalities, leaving. For somebody like me that wants to get into business with the narrow playlist, it's kind of like you got to pick and choose. And pretty much, if you want freedom and control, you got to go to either satellite or online radio because commercial radio is just not going to cut it. Yeah, it's interesting because what you find is the person, the stronger the personality, the more money you make, but they try to limit your personality. So it's always an interesting scenario. It's to play it safe. Um, so the creativity aspect doesn't really um, get a chance to come out. Right now, as a matter of fact, I'm I just, and I apologize for, for being late for the interview, and I appreciate you accommodating me, but... I had to, we're making some changes because I'm on uh, XM Radio, The Power, doing talk. So I ended up, it was a funny thing because I had a friend of mine tell me that I had to go back into radio. And I'd known her longer than I've really known myself, so I said, okay, I would. But I didn't want to do terrestrial radio. I wanted to go somewhere where I could be creative. And what I realized is that with XM, that was new, and they were looking for creativity. But I would, here's the thing that I would look at. Wherever you can get a give a voice, you wherever you know you can get your voice out, do that, and just keep working on it and, and let it go where it goes. But you always you got to have the ability to have creativity. I definitely agree, and um, I had previous conversations with uh, Donnie Simpson and Nina Blackwood, and they pretty much echoed those same sentiments about the way commercial radio is now with the narrow formats and the personalities not really showing, and it's kind of like they want to play it so safe and just do what they feel is going to make money and bring them advertisers. Yeah, but that's everything, what I've started to realize, everything is about selling something. Any time you hear anything on media, somebody's selling something. Be it the uh, the show, it's 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 selling to get ratings so that it can sell advertising, and the people who buy the advertising buy the advertising so they can sell something. If you know what I mean. Right, definitely. Now you were doing radio in the dark ages, doing carts and um, reels and things of that nature, right? And, and turntables. We have turntables. Yeah, we still use turntables here. Now, when I first started, I was like, what is this? Uh, how do you use it in this, that, and the third? So now I know how to work a turntable like it's nobody's business. Now, the only thing that I need to do in order to get my radio history correct is just show me how to work a cart machine, how to splice the reel to reel, and do all that good stuff and use a spin pot. Hey, man, eat that. <laughs> and just I, order some of those things and get them. And I'd be good to go. Now, um, I believe I've read on some website that P.D. Green's Washington was on BET doing this earliest, right? Oh, actually, P.D. Green Washington was on WOL, which is which is the flagship station, the first station of Radio One. Uh huh. Um, and I think you know what? I think they did carry P.D. Green's Washington on BET because that was his TV show, mm-hmm. and it was on Channel Twenty, and it probably didn't on. But it's interesting, um, and I've got to go see P.D. talk to me, and I've, I'm going to probably take my dad to go see it, and I'll tell you why. My dad used to always listen to P.D. Green. When I was a young boy, six, seven, eight years old, at 6 o'clock on Sunday, my dad had to listen to P.D. Green. And, you know, and I look back at it, and I was thinking about this the other day, probably one of the reasons I'm a talk show host is after listening to P.D. Green and how he talked about what he had to say and whatever. 
and just the, the, the type of effect that he had on the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely well known around the Washington D.C. area now. The movie talked to me with Don Cheetah would definitely get him exposed more nationally. Yeah, yeah. With that, and on YouTube, I've seen the clip on how he did with how to eat a watermelon, and it's kind of like you kind of don't want to laugh, but then again, it's like he's telling it like it is. Yeah, that was his whole thing. Tell it to the hot, tell it to the cold. You know, tell it to the young, tell it to the old. The most don't laugh and don't lie, and the most don't signify it. It's Petey Green's Washington. And I remember that, listening to Petey Green. Wow, you remember that verbatim. Just like how I remember this is Video Vibrations with Alvin Jones, your unseen VJ. Coming up, we have Bernard Wright with Who Do You Love? Followed by Huey Lewis and the News, Power of Love. But coming up next, he is Ready for the World with Digital Display on Video Vibrations. Don't go away. (laughs) You did it better than I did. Yeah, you know I had to throw that back out at you. I got to show you that I know my stuff, Mr. Jones. No, you do. I wouldn't do the interview with you if you didn't believe me. Mm-hmm. Now, do you still now do you still look at old soft notes, video vibrations, tapes, and storage somewhere, or are they just collecting dust? Well, you know what? I have some in storage, and I recently, I guess about nine months ago, got off of eBay a uh, a, a beta, a Betamax <laughs> wow. machine. Wow! Because everything I recorded was on beta because it was hi-fi, and it's acting up. So I'm going to have to find another machine somewhere. You know, <laughs> who knew you I could still to, find a Betamax? I don't. Well, like I said, eBay. You just have to eBay it. Wow. So, because I got all those shows. I consider them now legacy shows on on the, on the Betamax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because now for me, if I were to find some old video, soul video vibrations yeah, right. tapes, for me, it'd be like a kid in the candy store. I'd be like, okay, I'm just gonna watch this. Just give me some food and a shower and stuff, and I'm good. I tell you what, I'm going to. Once I get them done and I'm able to pull them and convert them to a DVD, you'll get copies. Wow. You'll get copies. Wow. Boy, that's, when I get that, trust me, it'll be like Christmas. <laughs> it will be like Christmas for me. Like, Ma! 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 Look what I got! 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 Like, um, you going to class today? Um, uh, yeah, what time you get out? Uh, I got 315. You want to go shoot ball? Nah, man, I'm going to be watching video vibrations. Man, you always watching video vibrations. Like, man, yo, yo don't disturb me, man. I'm, sh- I'm, I'm watching my stuff. So, sincerely, I appreciate you doing that for a young bug in the business still trying to make a name for himself. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, once I get it, the next time I stay at a, like a, a real nice hotel, like uh, Ritz Carlton or Four Seasons or something like that, I'll get a Do Not Disturb sign and I'll send it with a copy of the DVDs. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Now, do you still keep in touch with Mr. Green Eyes, Donnie Simpson? I saw Donnie not long ago. I had to do because uh, I do video production. My my company is, is Alvin Jones Communications and AJ Productions, and for um, Carolyn Cheeks Kilpatrick, who is the congresswoman from Detroit, and she's also the mother of uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, who is the mayor. Um, they were doing like a little salute for her, so I went and uh, did an interview with Donnie for this piece that they were putting together. So I had a chance to see him, Jeff Newman, who was the uh, senior producer for Video Soul and, and the Department, is working over there and. Um, it worked out pretty well. Matter of fact, I saw Michelle Wright, who used to be on Tell Me Something Good part time. So it was, it, was, it was good to see him. Very good people. Um, and it's interesting because his son, DJ, and his daughter, Donna, are now grown. And I remember they were like little kids, and now they're just grown people. And Dawn's as beautiful as her mom and the whole nine yards. So it's just interesting to see how time has just 
kept going. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you feel about the current state of BET? Because a lot of people saying we want BET to go back to that period of video soul, soft notes, video vibrations, Teen Summit, um, um, the news show that they have on. I can't, requ can't quite recall the name of the show off the top of my head because, mm -hmm. to me, honestly, I feel BET has lost some of its luster that it had during that period in BET. I hardly watch BET anymore. Well, you know, the problem is is that audiences start to skew younger. And that was one of the one of the problems is that, you know and you always find this in the scenario. At first it was B E T because that's all we had. And then things start developing and you know, Donnie gets older, I get older, Sherry Carter gets older, and then you start have to have having to have young blood and, and fresh folks in. And one of the things like I keep trying to and I'm on the fence with, is it that the quality has gone or is it that with each new generation, they want something totally different that we as the older generation don't agree with? And, and I'll tell you why I look at it that way. Elvis Presley was selling music when Perry Como was getting winning Grammys um, with Elvis Presley. They would not show him from the waist down in the South because they didn't want anybody to see him shaking his behind. They thought that was vulgar. So is it that things have just got totally wild and out of place, or is it just as a generation? Because do you remember shows, movies like Beach Blanket Bingo and How to Stuff a Wild Bikini? Mm -hmm. With, you know, Annette Filicello and... Frankie Avalon. Right. All of those shows had handsomely clad kids in bikinis, shaking their butt. If you think about James Bond doing Sean Connery, you know, what was the girl's name? Pussy Galore and all these other things. So is it that we've changed or is it that as we get older, those things we kind of look at and go, oh, that's not too mature. Right, definitely, because I definitely kind of feel like somebody my age, I'm only 21, so I'm kind of like in a rock and the hard place, got an appreciation for the old stuff. You don't want to be too old, and you definitely don't want to be too young. So for me, it's like I'm kind of stuck in the middle, or is it like I'm one of those rare ones that gets the two? But you know what? I was that same way because I was doing Quiet Storm playing Freddie Jackson, but I knew who Jesse Belvin was. I, I like Matt King Cole. And it's, it's interesting because in the business that we have to be really successful, and that's why I real, realize you're going to be successful, you have to be able to bridge a gap so that you understand the whole aspect of the music. Because really, you have to be a musicologist. You can't just know music that happened today. It, it's kind of like wanting to be a pilot, you know, an airplane pilot, and not knowing about, a, about the B-52 or the P-51 or the DC-3 or not knowing who Orville uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright work. You can't really be in a business that you don't understand the business, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I, de I definitely get that. Now, um, BT has been in the press recently because one of the shows that they're airing is called Hot Ghetto Mess. Ghetto Mess yeah. yeah, now tell me about that. How you feel about that fiasco and the way BT is going with Reggie Hutland? That's, um, um, yeah, yeah. they're saying that they're, they're bringing issue to this and want to bring it out. I'm like, we really don't need this. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and it's not just BET, it's just media today. Media tries to be as controversial as possible. Some of the things that we could not get away with years ago, it's, it's just because. I mean, look at Jerry Springer. Look at um, Maury Povich. And really, if you think about it, what's the difference between Jerry Springer 
and Maury Povich as compared to All My Children, Young and the Restless. The only difference is the people look a lot better mm -hmm. in the soap operas because there was always backstabbing, who's, who's, who's going behind whose back, who's trying to take whose child away, who's sleeping with whose wife or husband. Same thing on Jerry Springer, same thing on Maury Povich. Mm -hmm. The difference is the soap operas, everybody looks good. Yeah, I could definitely attest to that, because looking at more, I admit, Guilty Pleasure TV show, Who the Baby Daddy, he does that seven days of the week, and some of the people, they look trailer park trash, uh, ham sandwich, a hot expletive mess, which I can't say on the air. Now, um, do you have any advice for anybody that wants to get into any form of broadcasting, whether it be radio, TV? I would say, first of all, what's the message that you want to bring? Most people do it because it seems exciting. Um, this is a business that is really more hard work than it is exciting. The question becomes, what message do you want to bring? What is it that you think should be heard? And what message can you bring that's positive that will help people? Um, anybody can get on the air and just say something controversial, but my question is, what are you going to do to inspire people? What are you going to do to, to help people? Now, and it's funny because I was talking to somebody today uh, had another interview, and I realized the first three months that I went on the air that there were people who I have never met who are letting me into their home. Uh, I'm in their car. They're being very intimate with me. You know, a stranger they won't answer the door for, but with radio, I'm in their bedroom. And the question is, if people would call in, they would say things, and I'm like, where are these people, where, what kind of lives do these people have, what's going on with them? And you realize, all these different people have all these things going on in their heads, the different experience in their lives, they could be rich, they could be poor, they could be people who have families, they could be people who are homeless, they could be people who've been abandoned, been abused, but they're letting you in their world. And what is it that you can say that helps this person? It is interesting, um, I'm up on Capitol Hill, and I run into a guy, and he remembers me from doing a quiet song. He says, you know, my mother used to always call in the show. And I said, oh, yeah, I remember she would call in and just say hi or whatever. He says, man, you helped my mother because during that time, my, my mom and my dad broke up, and she was very, very depressed about that. But she would, used to listen to your show, and you'd wish her, you know, say hey and do a dedication. And that really made her day. He says, you have no idea. He says, because there were times where we were really concerned about her. But, you know, and for a person to say to you 15 years down the road, you helped my mom through a difficult time, that was just, I looked, I, that day I said, you know, that makes what I do over the years worth it. Mm -hmm. And I hope to leave that same legacy when it's all said and done with me and my young career. And I feel like I'm still not even in my prime yet, and I'm only 21. Man, you got you got ways and ways to go. You'll you'll be going good for a long time. So yeah. I'm not even worried about you. You think so? Oh, I know so. Wow. I'm, like I said, I'm still just humbled, man, because like, I've been doing this for only three and a half years. Started this show from scratch, and everybody that I interviewed in three and a half years is like, I, I'm still pinching myself as we speak like how did I get to this point and I've been doing this since I was 18 but Mr. Mason you have been able to get folks you know and myself excluded but you know you've been able to get some top notch folks to talk to you most people don't waste their time with people that they feel are a waste of time 
So understand that. Everybody that's doing the interview with you is putting their faith in you. They believe in you. They're saying, I like this young guy. I want to do an interview. I want to sit and talk with him. I want to be able to say I was on his show. So, you know, as we get older, always remember with your grandkids, you always go, yeah, I, I was on Gerald Mason's show. Granddaddy, you, yeah, right. <laughs> but that's what will happen is because as you go to the next level, we'll be able to tell everybody that we've worked with you. All right. Definitely kind words. I appreciate it. Do you have any shout-outs that you want to give before we conclude this interview? Well, just everybody in North Carolina. I was born in North Carolina. I was born in Kinston. Okay, uh, Lenore uh, County. Yeah? Lenore County. Lenore County. See, you know your stuff. My parents grew up in the Snow Hill area, LaGrange, Hookerton. Um, oh, in, in the area that you're in, uh, my cousin just had a baby boy. Okay. Edward White the fourth. So. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's another bond we got. No Carolina boys. So hey. You go. You know what I mean, go. ladies and gentlemen, Time Machine exclusive Alvin Jones, the unseen VJ man of the voice behind Video Vibrations, Mr. Jones. Thank you for doing this interview and hang on the line. Hey, Gerald. Thanks. All right.